Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Coming In. I'm Claire Gurley. I'm an artist, aspiring art therapy student, and generally curious human being who is also going to be your host on this little journey that we're about to go on together. And I'm just so honored and grateful that you are here. And if you're wondering what you're doing here, what this podcast is that you've just clicked on and started to listen to, Coming In is a project that seeks to engage in open and honest conversation about sex and sexuality. Every week, I'm going to be sitting down with a different guest, and we're going to be covering a different topic or concept such as reproductive rights, purity culture, sexually, sexual harassment, or in the case of today's episode, gender dysphoria and the pursuit of gender euphoria. After recording, the guest and I are going to sit down and be creating a piece of artwork to visually represent these complex concepts and ideas we're talking about. It feels like there aren't a lot of safe spaces to ask questions. I often feel stupid for asking questions, for not knowing things already, and I've always thought that we'd probably all benefit a lot from just taking down the judgment and talking honestly, especially about things that might be a little bit uncomfortable. And I really want this to be a space where everyone feels safe to come with what they have and what they know. and maybe learn a little bit, take what works and leave what doesn't and gain different perspectives and insights. I think this podcast is really about cutting through the bullshit. And that's why I'm really pumped to share with you our very first guest, Peyton, who is an incredible therapist and wonderful human being. And I'm really thrilled for you to meet them. Peyton, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for yeah, awesome. So I'm going to start with a question that I'm going to be asking all of my guests over the course of this podcast. How did you learn about sex for the first time? Yeah, I love that question. And when you actually sent me that, I had to think about it for a little while because it wasn't something that came up, um, you know, like naturally. But I think now that I'm thinking about it, like from a young age, my parents were super open about sex and even like when my, so I'm like the second oldest of six. So like even when my younger siblings were born, I was holding the video camera like while my mom was in labor, like super open about all of this I'm stuff. sorry, holding the video camera? <laughs> yeah, yeah. With my youngest sister too, I even like cut the umbilical cord. Like my, my parents were, yeah, crazy, um, crazy good though about just like open about that sort of stuff. Wow. Um, and so like I don't remember an explicit conversation, which makes me feel like all of the conversations we had around it were pretty positive you know mm -hmm. like nothing like stuck out as like traumatizing or like really <laughs> awkward or really weird or anything like that um but i think i had a pretty good understanding of like what sex was from them from an early age cool you felt like you could ask questions and kind of get answers pretty yeah, easily totally wow that's a pretty unique experience i know good for you i know it's well, great. i love that Okay, I gotta go back to, were they home births? Or were you no. in the hospital? In the hospital, yeah. <laughs> With the video camera. <laughs> I know, I have these, like, I have, like, a few, like, vivid memories of me just, like, standing there, and it had, like, you know, the little screen next to it? Uh-huh. And just, like, standing there being, like, and being, like, this is so normal. And not even realizing until I was, like, reiterating the story in college that, like, and people had, like, kind of, like, a similar reaction to you, like, wait, what? Like, they were shooting a video camera at your mom's crotch while she was, like... <laughs> giving birth and you being like yeah 
and it was incredible. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. Interesting, well, but so good. <laughs> today we're going to be getting into gender dysphoria, gender euphoria, all that fun jazz. But before we get really into it, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do? Yeah, totally. Um, I am a non-binary queer human. Super out, super proud about that. Um, I currently work as an intern. I'm just finishing up my graduate work in marriage and family therapy. I kind of like to say I'm a therapist for cool humans. <laughs> um, and like all humans are cool, but I have a specific kind of like lived and professional experience with the LGBTQIA2S plus folks um, and teens, which make up like a huge chunk of my caseload. Mm -hmm. um, so I spend a good chunk of my week uh, hanging out and doing some therapeutic work with queer folks. And even if they're not queer, like cool folks in general, and I absolutely adore it. I love that. Yeah. I feel like we've talked a little bit about how it's been important to you to create like a safe space for queer folks yeah. with your therapy work, mm -hmm. which I mean, that's a big reason why I'm doing this. I feel like that's, especially right now, super important. Um, GLSEN reported that over 59% of LGBTQIA plus identifying students feel unsafe at school because of their sexual orientation and 45% feel unsafe because of their gender expression. Mm -hmm. And those are just like some really high numbers and with all the anti-LGBTQ plus legislation passing now. I, that's nothing new, but the initiatives are clearly sweeping the nation right now. Right. Um, we're in Tennessee where we're recording, where um, a bill just passed kind of keeping conversations from any gay topic from being talked about in public schools. Um, and that's just yeah. insane. Yeah. And just really taking away a place where kids who might not be able to talk about sex at home, maybe their parents, yeah don't hand them the video camera when they're in labor uh, they don't they don't have a place to to ask questions or to talk so that's why i think the work you do is so important a lot yeah. and like yeah i totally agree i think it's like right and i kind of my own philosophy like while it why i tell clients like kind of like straight up like i'm queer and i'm non-binary is because i feel like it it gives them an open space to just come as they are mm -hmm. um like it, it really like provides, you have that sense of safety around other queer people and like affirming people in general, but there is some sort of like, you know, like trust that just comes with like being in a space with another queer person. You, you know, you have some sort of like sense of homeness and comfort and uh, care, you know, like you don't have to worry about so much things. And so I think like, that's like a really cool thing that I can bring to the therapeutic space, like and right mm -hmm. off the bat um hopefully right like clients can come in and just be who they are and feel like they don't have to like jump through a bunch of hoops to do that yes absolutely i was at the gynecologist recently and i was so nervous and then my gynecologist walked in wearing um like a pride sticker yes. and a transgender sticker on her name tag and i was like <sighs> just yeah. i didn't even know i was nervous about right. potential questions about my sex life until i saw her walk in and felt safe all of a sudden yeah, so just absolutely. being out and proud and like sure. up front yeah. with your queerness is a, a tool i think yeah. for sure yeah. thanks 
So let's get into it. Let's talk about let's talk about gender dysphoria. Let's talk about gender euphoria. Can you kind of break down? I know a lot of people probably have heard of gender dysphoria, sure. but they may not have heard of gender euphoria. Can you break down what those terms are? What they kind of what makes them different? Yeah, absolutely. Um, gender dysphoria and euphoria are kind of like the yuck and yum of <laughs> the gender stuff. Both, both, you know, good and bad in their own ways. Um, but to dysphoria, you know, what would be conventionally the yuck? Um, it's a clinical term, and just in general, like clinical terms are bittersweet, right? They can provide a lot of like explanation and guidance um, to be able to talk about a sensation, but also they can be kind of restrictive and insens insensitive. Mm -hmm. um, and so, gender dysphoria um, it refers to when the sex that we're assigned at birth and the parts of our body, um, or like our physical appearance or you know anything else about us doesn't align with how we feel deep down about our gender mm. um and so like right like there are like nuances in these terms of like sex assigned at birth and like gender identity expression and those you know you can find the definitions to those online but basically it's like when you're born right like when you're holding the video camera and like <laughs> you know like a baby comes out uh the physician literally looks at genitals and makes like an an educated guess based on your external genitalia about what your internal organs look like. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, I've never thought about it that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting way to break that down. Yeah, yeah. Actually, so like, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar, Alok Manon uses this term uh, called like heterosexual hieroglyphics when talking about this because it's literally like they're just looking at it and being like penis or vagina. Um, it gets into some like weird, weird stuff with like intersex people or like people mm -hmm. whose like genitals don't look conventionally like one or the other. Um, but, but yeah, so basically you're born, some physician says, oh, that looks like this, um, and gives you a designation of male or female. And then as you start growing, um, gender dysphoria would be like when your sense of self, when how you identify doesn't, doesn't, um, level up with that term. Hmm. Or you feel, you know, some sort of different. And so, like, when I'm explaining this to people, I typically, I, we were talking about, so one of my majors in college is classical humanities, which means I just know, like, a lot of Latin. <laughs> it's, like, not conventionally <laughs> helpful in the real world. Except for when explaining gender dysphoria. Because if you break apart the word dysphoria, it literally means, so, like, pertaining to um, a carrier of pain. And mm -hmm. so, like, when I'm talking to people about this or explaining this to, like, a colleague or a client or a friend or anyone really like that that is the way that i will um phrase it because it is like a, a sense of like pain around your gender right like it's not just like this fleeting feeling or you know something that you can kind of like brush off like it's like a real a really kind of like intense sense of internal pain that you feel when you notice this discrepancy in your second sign of birth in your gender identity yeah yeah and so like right like with all things um it sucks so bad, um, but but there are, you know, being a therapist, we try not to dwell on all the bad things. So like, right. if a client comes in and is experiencing gender dysphoria, right, like we can use it in different ways. Um, if you're experiencing gender dysphoria, like we can use it to inform your treatment, or we can use it to inform like what you want your life to be like. Like if you're, um, you know, if you, 
if you come to me and you're experiencing gender dysphoria, like let's use it to inform our work. Um, let's tune into that sensation, kind of let's like think about like why your body and brain is telling you this and really try to use it to get to the bottom of what's happening. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'll compare this to like going to the doctor for like chest pain or back pain or, you know, any sort of pain that like, yes, the pain sucks so bad and we would never like wish that upon anyone, but it's kind of cueing you in on something that's happening like underneath. Yeah. And so like, if we look at it that way, it can be a helpful tool, right? Like I don't want it to get lost in translation that like gender dysphoria sucks. Like it's so bad. <laughs> um, but, but we can use it, right. If you're experiencing it, we can use it to kind of like give us like a, a view of like internally, like, Oh, something's not right. Like we yeah. should try to figure out something that's going on. Um, or just maybe like look more into it or give it some more time and space to kind of figure out what's going on there. Totally. Like if you have physical bodily pain, you know, a headache yeah. or you're, I don't know, like when I'm running and my body is in pain, maybe my legs are in pain or my lungs hurt. I'm like, oh, that goes to show I need to stretch more. I need sure. more water. It's your body communicating something to you. And it's not just like your body being like, fuck you. It's right. I need something. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's, that's probably true. I'm not the therapist, but that's probably true with brain pain as well right sure yeah totally i mean i mean i don't necessarily know like you know study wise i can only speak from like my own experience but i know there's been like tons of times when you know like something's happening happening like physically and mm -hmm. or like i'm doing yoga and i stretch something out and i'm like oh wow like that was that was harboring like i was harboring that in my hips or something like that or mm -hmm. you know like something comes up when i'm running but would never come up when i'm just like sitting in front of my desk or something like sure like different things come up at different times and you can just utilize that yeah so on the other other side of the coin is gender euphoria can you kind of yeah. break down that term and even just where it comes from because i feel like gender dysphoria gets all the stage time yeah yeah absolutely yeah i think right like when people do come in it it can be easy for them to you know, pinpoint like, yes, this is dysphoria. Like I'm experiencing something really awful and pertaining to, you know, this discrepancy and this is dysphoria. Um, but euphoria is just essentially the opposite of dysphoria. Um, kind of like a sensation of like comfort, joy, bliss, excitement, I'm running out of other adjectives, but like <laughs> a, a purely good feeling that we get when we're thinking about um, when we feel like we look in accordance with when we're being perceived as, or like when we're acting in accordance with mm -hmm. our true gender identity. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of this like overwhelmingly positive flood that we get when we're feeling super awesome about ourselves. Awesome. Yeah. I read a post that you wrote and you wrote about how there are different types of gender dysphoria and different types of gender euphoria. Can you kind of break down into the specifics of those different types? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in general, like they, you know, both kind of can do, there's pretty standard definitions between both. So like, you know, if we talk about top dysphoria, you can also experience top euphoria. Mm -hmm. um, so like you can just swap out the second word and, you know, just apply the definition to the other one. So like pretty standard types of what we call body dysphoria are, or, you know, body euphoria are top and bottom. Um, and so like top dysphoria, top euphoria is someone's discomfort to disconnect with their chest or their upper body. Um, some people that experience top dysphoria get top surgery, others wear binders, some people just learn to cook. Um, bottom dysphoria, similar, but on the bottom, <laughs> I shouldn't expect that one, <laughs> um, but you just like 
discomfort or disconnect with your genitals or bottom parts and how they don't match up with your gender identity. So some people might experience bottom dysphoria um, and they get bottom surgery or can wear packers or, you know, there's a lot of other stuff that they can do too. Um, besides body dysphoria, um, some other really common things, um, some ways that you can experience dysphoria or euphoria are, are in the realms of like cognitive and social. Um, and so cognitive dysphoria is kind of when our brains don't love or like can't accept this discrepancy between our sex assigned at birth and the way we're expected to present and act in the world based on that designation. Um, and so there's like, you know, there's like this intangible piece of who you are. So like, depending on what you believe, um, it might be your personality or your soul or your spirit or something like that. And we know it best because it's us. Um, and we experience this intangible thing in like a certain way, like maybe it has a gender, maybe it doesn't. Um, but when that doesn't quite fit with the distinction that we were given at birth, um, or, you know, the physical body that we live in or different parts of our physical body, um, then we might experience this cognitive dysphoria. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so the other one is social dysphoria. Um, and so social dysphoria, pretty self-explanatory, um, but we might experience it when others perceiving us don't align with how we perceive ourselves. Um, so like when someone assumes your gender, like uses the wrong pronouns, um, when someone tries to tell you that you're in the wrong bathroom, something like that. Mm. Um, and so this one is really hard. So like in general, like there are like two types to two things to like be cognizant of, and this might, you know, come up when we talk about um, how to manage your gender dysphoria, but mm. kind of in general, there are um, things that you have control over and things that you don't have control over. I was about to say the the hard part with a lot of these is it yeah. sounds like, especially with something like social dysphoria or body, you know, totally. things that it takes a lot of money to try to change or just are, yeah. you know, difficult to change. Those are those can make you feel so out of control, you know, feeling a very different way than yeah. other people are perceiving you or than your body is perceived as. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like with some of these things, like social, um, social euphoria and dysphoria generally stays kind of out of your realm of control, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're not really conscious of how people think, um, you can't really control, you know, what they do or what they say. There are realms, like, especially in when we're talking about, like, gender euphoria, there are a lot of, like, really cool ways that you can be insightful or things that you can do to, like, conjure up these feelings by yourself. Mm. Um, like, you know, if, if I establish and I think, like, you know, when, when we're trying to figure out what feels euphoric to us, mm. um, you know, we're getting this, like, flood of something we do, we get this flood of like a happy, totally good, like, oh my God, this is it sort of feeling. Um, you know, like I hear a lot of this where um, someone might have a top dysphoria, might wear like a really baggy hoodie sweatshirt. Like they feel super cool, super comfortable. Um, they feel like attention is drawn away from their chest and they're like, yeah, this feels euphoric to me. Mm -hmm. So like we can control that because if you are experiencing gender dysphoria, great go grab a big hoodie and throw it on. Like hmm. we can kind of conjure up, we can kind of manufacture some of this euphoria for ourselves to combat some of the dysphoria. And so in that realm, you have some control over it, right? Like, yeah. I know like I love two-tone liner. And so like two-tone liner like really makes me feel like gender euphoria. And so when, right, like 
maybe I'm not feeling great. Maybe I just am having a great day and I'm like, I want to like ride this high all day. I'll put on some two-tone liner and that does it for me. Yeah. So like there are ways that you can control it. In general with social dysphoria and euphoria, like that's the hard part, right? And social euphoria is the same thing of like someone identifies you correctly, like someone use your, uses your correct pronouns or like gives you an androgynous compliment or something like that. Like you don't have control of that either. That's kind of like a pleasant surprise, like a little gift that they're giving to you, whether they know it's a gift or not. Um, but you don't have much control over that either. And so yeah. that is kind of the, the good and bad. Yeah. But recognizing the places where you do have control and the places you don't have control feels like a great starting place. Totally. Absolutely. Do you have memories from when you were younger of sort of, you've talked about gender dysphoria as something sure. that you have experienced. And I think if people are honest with themselves, some form of dysphoria has probably come up for a lot of us. Um, right. But what, what did that kind of look like for you? When were you able to sort of recognize oh, that's what that was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that like ability to recognize it retrospectively was pretty new for me. Yeah. Um, like, so thinking about it now, I think the first time I ever probably experienced gender dysphoria was we, we used to go to this church and they used to have, they were like super into folk photographs. So they would take family pictures of all of us and then put them in this like big book. Oh yes. Like, Girl, yeah. you know, I'm from the South. <laughs> we had, we had one of those every year, the church yeah. registry. Oh yes. Oh, okay. the church registry. Yeah. <laughs> well. But so my, my parents would get us dressed up every year to do that. And there was one year, maybe when I was like six or seven, um, and my mom dressed us in like conventionally cute things, right? Like would go to whatever store, had the most trendy children clothing by that and put us in it. So it wasn't like she was like, you know, dressing us in anything wild, but like, I vividly remember this like super itchy, like Easter dress, right? Like pastels and like stripes and like different layers of like tulle and stuff um, that she put me in. And this hat, literally Claire, it was like a, like a, imagine a dog bowl <laughs> fabric. Oh no. Right? <laughs> like a solid band. Of fabric and I remember I hated it. I hated it so much. Um, and so like uh, we got to church and I'm in this scratchy dress and awful hat and I'm like ticked. Um, but like at some point I had taken on this role that I was like a good girl. Yeah. Right. Like in literally the sense that like I was supposed to be good and I was supposed to act like a girl. Mm -hmm. And so like it was really important to me. Um, that I had to tell myself those things, like remind myself of those things because I didn't believe them and because I knew that was expected of me. And I didn't think I had any other options. Yeah. Right. Like, so looking back on it, I'm like, of course I had options. Like I could have just verbalized that. And my mom would have been like, great, take off the hat. But at that point, right. Like we're socialized to believe like, this is how we're supposed to act. Like little girls wear dresses. Like it doesn't really matter that I hate the dress or I think it's super scratchy. Yeah. But like, so I went into church and I have a little brother and he's in black slacks and a button down shirt. And I remember just sitting there looking at him and being like, why can't I have been dressed like that? Like, mm -hmm. why do I have to be the good girl in this dress? And why does he get to wear those clothes? And I think like that was the first time that I experienced something like that. Like something that I was supposed to do, some way that I was supposed to present or supposed to be that made me feel completely awful and made me wonder why, why it's like that like why we had to live by those rules. Um, 
and like I feel the need to clarify right that like it wasn't anything that my mom or my brother or anyone else in my family did um I just didn't have like the words or knowledge to understand what was happening at the time and so I couldn't even have expressed it um right like I grew up on a farm too in Wisconsin so most of the time I was naked in the garden covered in dirt right <laughs> so it wasn't like my parents were like accidentally or intentionally pushing this on me um it was just kind of an observation that I noticed and when I had felt this like intense wave of pain around who I was and how I was expected to present. And I think something that kind of gets lost a lot of the time is, yes, a lot comes from our family of origin and a lot also comes from the way that we're socialized, the, cool. the culture and the society that we're in, where I was expected, I went to a private school, I was expected to wear a skirt or a skirt every single day. And I just, in high school, finally got to a point where I was like, can I wear pants? Am I allowed to wear pants? Why are we not allowed to wear pants? Yeah. Um, which, different situation in terms of, I, I do still identify simply because I don't see the need to, to not as, as a woman. And I yeah. am not really sure why that is or, you know, why I feel comfortable with it, but I do. But I'm not comfortable with someone else telling me what my being a woman has to look like. Right. Um, and so that's where I do try and bind sometimes. I do have like yeah. different bras for how feminine I want totally. to appear on different days, yeah. you know, and, and I can look back and be like, wow, as a kid, I just thought, this is my option. This yeah. is what I wear. This is what I put on because I am a girl. I do this, right. you know, and it's like a weird world to live into. Like I currently identify as non-binary, but I understand that I've been socialized as a woman my whole life. Mm -hmm. Right. So like there are these parts that I'm like, wait, is this how I actually feel? Or is this like how I've been socialized to yeah. like, you know, understand the world. And so like, that's been interesting too, to parse out of like, like exactly kind of what you're saying of, you know, I get to choose what I want to be. And now that I have like a conscious, like I'm 25, my brain's done developing. <laughs> so like, I've got all the knowledge, you know, I've got all the parts that I need to critically think about this stuff. Um, but, but now I can kind of make a conscious choice about it and be able to have the understanding of like, oh, maybe this is because I'm socialized and not because I actually want to do this. Yeah. And those choices and those feelings can also be fluid and kind of change totally. by the day too. Can Absolutely. you talk about that a little bit? Sorry, I know this isn't a question I gave you beforehand, kind of on the fly, but. Like as far as my own experience with that? Um, you know, your own and then also just even on a broader sense, I feel like we kind of, as a culture have decided you come out once, you say what you are and then you, you abide by that which is yeah. kind of counterproductive to the whole conversation, yeah. I feel like. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think, like, as far as, like, physical appearance, right, like, changes day by day, totally. Um, as far as, like, you know, sexual orientation or gender or anything like that, like, I wish we lived in a world where we didn't even have to, right? Like, there's this, um, especially, like, now it's Pride Month, and so, like, I've been seeing like a lot of posts about like, you shouldn't need to come out, mm -hmm. right? And that, that makes me so happy because I totally agree with that. I understand why people do it. Like I came out, like, you know, most of my queer friends came out. Um, but, but you're right. Like there, there shouldn't be a need for us to like distinctly like set ourselves on one path and then be kind of like, 
um, punished or like shamed for going off that path, right? Yeah. Like if you come out as, like, say you come out as lesbian and then you decide that you're bi, right? Like that's that's like a you know queer person's worst nightmare, <laughs> right? <laughs> and the it is like a lot of the people that I see are you know worried about being like queer enough, and mm. I think that um, that like idea comes about from this like way we're putting pressure on queer people to like pick a label and then stay in that lane and be that label. Yeah. And in terms of gender expression, it can even be, okay, you identify as non-binary. That doesn't mean you're going to dress the same way every day or feel the same balance of masculinity and femininity every day. That could change, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You're totally right. It's, um, it is dependent on a lot of different things, right? Like, and the way you present is is a lot of it can be a reflection of your gender, but it doesn't have to be, right? Yeah. Like, say say you want to present masculine, but you like so Alok Menon I mentioned them before, and Jonathan Van Ness do this super well. Mm-hmm. Of like, if you're familiar, of just like knowing what they want to wear and just like wearing it, or knowing how they want to present and just doing it and not really caring right like if they like a pattern great like i find a skirt with this pattern awesome like it doesn't matter if it's if skirts are traditionally feminine or pants are traditionally masculine like if i like it and if it makes me feel good and if i get a sense of euphoria from it then i'm just gonna wear it Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like right it's like society and others that put those designations on how we dress um which sucks because we have to be conscious you know of like we can't not address other people's opinions and societal views and that sort of thing I wish we lived in a world where we didn't have to do that. Um, but, but yeah, I think part of, part of moving into like a society that is more open about that stuff is starting by like not addressing a gender to, you know, clothing and stuff like that Yeah. or how you present. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, kind of going back to the coming out thing. I don't know if I even told you, like, did I tell you why I called this podcast coming in? No, it's because I reject the idea of coming out. I think that figuring out your sexuality and yourself is an internal process and it's something where you're coming into yourself and discovering more about yourself and it has nothing to do with proving to the world how queer you are or how straight you are or whatever however you identify it's more of a lifelong internal journey um, that other people get the opportunity to you know get in on if you trust that to them you know Absolutely. that's it's but it's about you it's not about other people coming out makes it about other people I feel like yeah I love that a lot and I think right like that probably does get lost in translation a lot of like right like when you come out you are learning so much about yourself mm-hmm. right like and you're like it has to be a whole thing like conventionally in the traditional sense because you know like you're doing something against the norm yeah um you know like norm in quotation marks um because no, nothing is ever normal, but it, it it is like a really interesting thing that while you're experiencing all of this, you're actually doing so much of like your own internal work and almost like none of it, it actually pertains to others. Oh, totally. Okay. So I have another question for you in your own experience of seeking gender euphoria and discovering more about your own gender identity. Was it hard to explain your feelings and struggles to the people around you? Like, how did your friends and family react? Yeah, (laughs) I kind of hate this question. Oh, Um, no, actually not in like a sad way because it was such like a happy experience. It was like so (sighs) affirming and so cool. And I I hate it because I feel like it 
Um, I feel like I was super lucky and super privileged in that regard. And a lot of people don't have that experience. Um, and I like grieve that loss for them. Like it sucks so bad, but I just had like the most like beautiful experience where, so like, right. Like my mom and dad are characters. Literally I came out to my mom and she looked at me, she has six kids and only one of them is a boy. And she was like, yeah, I knew like statistically one of you was going to be gay. I just thought it'd be your brother. <laughs> a super lighthearted joke about it. Right. Like didn't actually think my brother was going to be gay was just like great like we love you I like told my dad and he was like yeah we love you no matter what like we mm -hmm. just want you to be happy um and so like that like just that like overwhelming sense of like support and understanding was pretty pretty solid throughout my family and my friend group there, there were a few people right that like um a few people that didn't take it as well as I had hoped um but I think like an overall positive response made those people easier to handle and cope with um and like with the people that I had a hard time with, I, I mean, I think religion, you know, when religion gets tied into this stuff, it becomes kind of difficult. And it became like hard for me to have this argument um, when you're comparing, right, like my lived experience to how someone else understands the world and yeah. how like their, you know, their whole view of the world is um, based in this thing that says that like, I can't exist or I shouldn't exist this way. Or like, I'm at the danger or I'm going to end up in like a bad place because I'm living out these things. <laughs> and so it was, I was almost able to have like a little bit more empathy for them because of that. Yeah. Interesting. So do you, well, sorry. No, I'm trying to I think find I, my words. I mean, to say a little bit more, like, I think that that would have been a harder piece for me to do if there were multiple people in my life that had a negative reaction. I hear like, you. I think I was, I was so happy and felt so supported in a lot of my other really important relationships that then when I had a few people like express like concerns or like even like, um, you know, like discontent or something like that with me coming out, I was able to kind of like balance those because I was having like so much support in other relationships. Yeah. Yeah, and and was that in terms of just your sexuality, or did you feel like any of those people who were really accepting took a little bit longer to come around to you coming out as non-binary, or was that more of a struggle? Like, I don't know. I know our parents' generation kind of doesn't. Sorry, there was a very freaky bug on my computer, oh my and I just had to. I have to address it. I can't just. Sorry, we're back. Um, yeah, no, that's a great question. I think, right, like, when I came out, I kind of ripped the bandaid off. Yeah. Um, I understood that, like, people in my family are going to be super supportive of me. And so then, you know, like, when I kept on, like, blossoming in my identity, I think people just didn't really question it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they couldn't really understand. Um, and I, co I always, you know, take that into consideration that like, right, like if you haven't experienced these things, like, right, well, and like, even if we've been both experienced, even if we're both like non-binary humans, um, my experience is not going to be yours. Right. So there's like no way that they could actually like understand what I'm going through. But I think it, I feel really lucky in the fact that they have just taken my word as is, like wow. my word is fact. And, um, I am the only one that can, you know, decide how I feel and dictate what I feel. And so I feel really lucky that not a lot of people in my social, like in my system have ever questioned that. And mm -hmm. so like, I think like when I came out, I got that like validation of, oh, people are here to support you. Like they love you and they believe you. 
yeah. which was a big thing. Um, and then, so when I, when I, you know, kept going, I'm like, oh, also in this and this and this, they were like, okay, like, great. Like, you know, you, and you're going to be you and like, great. We accept you and we support you. I love that. There was something that you wrote in that Instagram post I referenced earlier, where you say like, you are the expert on yourself. Yeah. And I just want to get that tattooed on my body. I love that. Yeah. It's true. It's, I was terrified to tell anyone I was gay because I was scared they were going to tell me that I wasn't. Totally. And I don't know why I was scared of that because I, I mean, it's because of that social piece of wanting to feel seen and accepted and yeah. validated. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know yourself way better than, you know, Aunt Melissa or whoever Absolutely. is saying, no, you're not. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I don't have an Aunt Melissa. I would like to put that out there. <laughs> um, but with other folks who might be struggling with gender dysphoria and might not have the most supportive friends and family, do you have any advice? I'm sure that's a lot of your caseload of the, of the folks that you yeah. see. Yeah. Um, I th I'm trying to think maybe, I think, I think it just really depends on who you are and your circumstances. Right? Yeah. So like I came out as an adult. Um, if you came out like I did, um, you have more resources and you have more options, right? Like when I came out in college, if my parents didn't accept me, uh, that would have been crushing, but realistically, I would have been able to drive back to my apartment, go back to work, use my own money to cope in whatever means necessary, um, establish a boundary with them that protected me, right? Like, or if one of my friends or siblings maybe had like a huge negative reaction, I could have chosen not to continue that friendship or relationship or take a break from it until I figured out what I might need to continue. Just like as an adult, you have way more options. Right. Um, and so I think if you're, you know, like, going through that as an adult like trust your gut just yeah. like have some faith that that you do know you more than anyone else knows you um and just be honest with yourself right like that's probably the hardest thing to do um but just acknowledging that it's going to be scary and confusing and different and difficult um but it's also fun and exciting and like super affirming um and, and if you if you're an adult, like, right, like, give yourself permission to try on different hats. Like, maybe not the dog bowl hat. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely <laughs> not the dog bowl maybe hat. Maybe that's your thing. Great. Like, <laughs> if I look back, like, it could have been a cool hat to wear today. But just, you know, like, give yourself permission to try on different hats. Um, and just kind of be unapologetically yourself. Like, right, you have those resources as an adult. You have the option to do that. Um, and also surround yourself with community just hands down like this work isn't meant to be done alone yeah um friends you know people that you trust a therapist shoes plug yeah um <laughs> right like just others that love and accept you and that you feel that you can talk to this stuff about mm -hmm. um but like with all that said if you're a kid it's a different story yeah like it's completely different or even if you're you know i'm living at home thankfully oh. my parents are you know, my parents have really come around to understanding and listening and accepting. But for those who might, you know, be in situations where they're yeah. in households that do not totally. see and accept them, or they are too scared to come out because they're worried that yeah. they won't be seen or accepted. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. And like, you know, kids come in all the time and they're like, I don't have my driver's license, which blows my mind because I forget that that's a thing. Yeah. Like, I forget that, like 
oh, well, like, when, you, like, you can't leave the house. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? Or, like, when they don't have money to go do anything or when they don't have a job and they can't make their own decisions, right? Like, in, like parents have ultimate say. Um, it's a completely different scenario. And so, right, like, if you're a kid, I think, right, if you're explaining gender dysphoria to someone, like, maybe I'd break it down, like, how I explain it to people, right? Like, in Latin, dysphoria means, like, physical pain, and that's how I'm experiencing this. Like, it's a painful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, most days I don't love the DSM, which is, like, this book that we use to diagnose people. Um, but it, it does say something that gender dysphoria is a diagnosis in, like, along with depression and anxiety and, like, all of the other um, mental health diagnoses that we're beginning to accept in our society, right? Yeah. So, like, those are going for you. Um, and I think if you're a kid, right, like, and I hate saying all of this because, you know, if you're coming out as a kid, like, incredible, like, you are, like, you know, really, like, diving into yourself and, like, doing the hard work. Um, but there's also so many more things that you have to, like, deal with and navigate and compromise on. And so, like, I think, right, like, if you're a kid and coming out or if you don't have total control over your actions, um, I think my best advice would be like, be willing to work with your guardians. Yeah. And that sucks. And I hate that you have to do that. Um, but you know, in a world where we have to kind of figure out how to get what we need by any means necessary, you might have a better chance of, you know, getting what you need or getting access to resources. If you can compromise with them when you don't agree, um, and be patient while you're trying to figure out what you need and while they're trying to help you figure out what you they're trying to help you figure out what you need. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it is hard. Um, and I think, right, like for kids too, or for people that, right, like just don't have access to all the resources, community is awesome. Yeah. Um, right. Like a lot of schools have like GSA clubs or like, um, you know, like other places where kids can connect and talk about this stuff. Um, I mean, something that, yeah, I, I'm not trying to sound like I'm old. I'm not, I'm 22, but the internet is still, I mean, this growing massive interconnective, I don't know if that's a word, place for people to find like-minded people. It's also a place where, you know, a lot of these terms, gender dysphoria is, you know, the one we're talking about can kind of get thrown around in ways where it can get really confusing and it can be, I'm on TikTok and I've watched a million TikToks about this thing and I have no idea, you know, what we're talking about. What are kind of some misconceptions that you've heard or seen about gender dysphoria? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, right, like those TikToks can be super helpful. Yes. Um, That's, I mean, the kids who don't have a safe home, like they've got community kind of misinformative yeah right and that's the beauty of like i love tiktok just like the next guy but um but yeah i think i think some misconceptions can get thrown around a lot of them when i see are like gender dysphoria is a phase it's not real um there's this really horrible book i guess in my opinion um (laughs) that like their whole tagline is this transgender craze that's seducing our daughters it's like super gross (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) what is the what is the like thesis of that book i don't 
Interesting. Um, I mean, I've, I've flipped through it. Like, with some of those books, I flip through them to understand the context. Um, but don't spend too much of my mental energy, like, invested in that sort of stuff. Valid. Um, but, like, and other misconceptions, like, it goes away on its own, or you can think it away, um, kind of along with that, that being, like, trans or queer or any of these identities that, you know, fall into this is a choice and that like if you don't want to experience like quote things that go along with it that you can just unchoose it um or that people that experience it are mentally ill like that's kind of an old one right like that's the tough part of it being in the dsm that's yeah. the current mm -hmm. is is okay. it becomes this stigma of yeah. well there's something wrong with you right. it's there's gender dysphoria and there's normal there's right. the normal people who are comfortable with a doctor looking at them when they're born and saying you are a girl and right. then there's the sickos and i just yeah i have to believe there's a little bit more nuance to it than that yeah yeah it is it is really hard um well and like right kind of another misconception that goes along with that is that you have to be like lgbtq ia2s plus to experience gender dysphoria right like <laughs> a lot of you know like body dysphoria just in a general sense can be experienced by anyone Right? Yeah, like, that's kind of what I meant earlier when I was like, if we're all honest with ourselves, yeah. haven't we experienced some kind of dysphoria? Totally. But I, like I said, I don't necessarily experience gender dysphoria to the, sorry, my cat is wanting attention, um, <laughs> to the extent that you're talking about, but body dysphoria is something I've been dealing with for a very long time. And these things are kind of more alike than they are different. Right, right. Yeah, and like, I mean, obviously we're careful to like, not compare things right like body dysphoria is totally different than gender dysphoria and so like but just like in the context of you know clarifying like miscommunications that people have about like gender dysphoria right like people that don't identify with lgbtq 2s plus community are can also have these feelings yeah right? like they can also like you can wear a dress and or you know i'm trying to think of a situation where like you couldn't be in a wedding and wear a bridesmaid's dress and identify like as a, a straight um like you identify with your sex assigned at birth and be like hey i hate dresses i don't want to wear this dress right mm -hmm. like that could be a sign of like gender dysphoria where you're like sex assigned at birth um, doesn't identify with how you want to present in that space. Yeah. And so like, you know, people that don't identify in this way can still experience this. But it is, you know, like going back to it, like it's, it is different than just general body dysphoria. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, I, did, I feel like I made a kind of big statement there. No, they are very different things. And yeah. I, I don't want to say, but I, I do want to say that it, taking the judgment away and saying, no, I, I do know what it feels like to yeah feel outside of my body and like not connected totally. to myself physically yeah. like that is they're very different experiences right. but well, a place to have compassion right like part of it part of the difference in them why one is so different than the other is right like body dysphoria in the general like mainstream sense is so normalized mm. right like, <laughs> yeah. like i want to have my summer body and that means like i'm feeling uncomfortable with the weight that I put on over winter or some bullshit like that. And like, people are like, great, like you can do this. You can work out more. You can go in the sweat sauna. You can do a keto diet, right? Like you have this sense of like ick in your body, 
and society is telling you like, great, this is totally normal and here's a bunch of options that you have to deal with it, right? Like with gender dysphoria, it's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, hey, I'm feeling really uncomfortable with my chest and people are like, no, 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 don't talk about it. Like, <laughs> don't, don't address it. Like, don't tell me about it. And also like, good luck finding something to do with it. Like, good luck getting resources about it. So yeah. like, two similar, um, two similar experiences and like feeling discomfort in your body, but the way we're socialized around them, which is like kind of like, you know, the, the tying string to all of these things is like one is so much back worse than the other. One has so many more resources to deal with those things. And so, right. They, they do have to be two different things. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I feel like both of those dysphorias wouldn't exist if it weren't for a lot of toxic messages in mm -hmm. our, cultures and societies yes incredible yes when it comes to managing gender dysphoria you've kind of talked about some different um avenues but what where do you even start and what options do people have yeah that's a great question um and i i want to be mindful of like different people have different resources but i feel like one that's pretty accessible is talking through it with someone that you trust um, yeah whether that be like a parent or a teacher like we mentioned GSA, like a GSA instructor, a friend, a therapist, a sibling, um, find someone that you trust and start talking about it. I mean, there also, if that doesn't feel accessible to you, which to some people it just might not, yeah. um, there are some like cool like online platforms, like we can utilize the internet to do its job and be like a cool resource for us. But like um, the Trevor Project or QLife both have like really great chat um, text services where you could just literally open up a conversation and start talking about it. And I think that's like a really good first step. Yeah. Um, also, like you were saying, like get some more information about it. Like there are like a ton of, um, influencers on Instagram, if you have access to that, or like bloggers on YouTube that you can type in and just like instantly, right? Like and it's over the internet. So to whatever <laughs> extent, it's like a real connection, but you can feel almost like validity in what you're feeling. Or like, oh my gosh, other people are experiencing this too. Right. Like I'm not alone in this. And maybe it alleviates some of the loneliness that comes along with some of these feelings because, oh my God, look at this like huge blogger or something that experiences. Yeah. Um, and then like when we talk about gender euphoria, like a lot of times with clients that come in and are experiencing a lot of dysphoria, like we'll just lean into the gender euphoria. And yeah. right, like we were talking about, like there are things you can't control and things you can't control. Um, and so like, if you can figure out what makes you feel great and use that to your advantage, right? Like if you can get your hands on a binder or tape or packers or like STP, like stand peas. Yeah. I um, mean, Target is selling binders now, which absolutely. is, I mean, pretty cool. Like super cool. Fuck corporate pride or whatever. Right. But, I mean, that's an actual <laughs> yeah. thing that is useful and helpful yeah. to have an accessible place. Most people have a Target in their town, yeah. probably not everyone. Yeah. Um, but uh, where else can people look for options like that for packers or tape reminders? Do you have any to plug? Um, I think, well, I think it really depends on um, resources, which I hate that I'm coming back to this, right? Like you can get a lot of really cool, like made by queer humans, like on like Etsy or like, you know, like smaller businesses, they're going to cost more. Yeah. And so like if, if you don't have access to financial resources, then maybe, maybe you just bite the bullet and default to like a $20 one on Amazon. Yeah. Right. Like say what you want about Amazon, like 
we will we will take all of the binders <laughs> if we can get them accessible yeah. to other people. Um, but there, I mean, there are also ways too. Where like, um, if if you don't have financial means, or if you know, like, you're someone that doesn't have an address where you can ship something to, or you know, money where you can buy something, you can experiment with like makeup or clothing, shoes, accessories, hair removal techniques, mm-hmm. um, hair styling techniques Mm -hmm. right there are like different ways that you can that you need little or no financial means in order to to try different things out and see what you experience and then you can use that to your advantage right like if space buns makes you feel like an incredible human wear space buns every single day of your life (laughs) yeah and so that that can be really helpful too in just combating dysphoria i think too um knowing your triggers is really helpful with dysphoria um so like right like if sometimes this is accessible sometimes this isn't but you know if you if going into a gender bathroom makes you feel really bad then like maybe maybe that's your trigger maybe you avoid that at all costs Mm. um or different things like um you know maybe you cover up the bathroom mirror when you get out of the shower so that you don't have to look at your naked body because it makes you feel really bad or um, maybe you use like a big sponge or a loofah in the shower so you don't have to touch the parts of your body that make you feel icky. Um, you know, like, and these things are kind of band-aid fixes, right? They're not long-term and they're not intended to be long-term. Um, but but they help manage the day-to-day. They do. And they help give you a little bit more time and a little bit more like bandwidth when going through your day-to-day to actually feel like you have the space to, to deal with these things. Yeah, because it's really hard to chase that gender euphoria when you have so many yes. of those moments triggering Absolutely. gender dysphoria. Right. So. Yeah. Well, and like, I mean, I would be a therapist to you if I didn't tell you to like do all the other stuff. Like, of be, course. Be gracious and kind to yourself and do all the things that make you like a happy, healthy human being. Right. Like, it's going to be hard. It's going to go slow. Um, it's going to be new and confusing. But you're trying out stuff to figure out like who you are. And so call yourself by the name you prefer or the pronouns that you like, right? Like eat and sleep and drink water and move your body and give yourself permission to explore things and do all the things you love, like connect with nature and be creative and do things that make, right? Like make yourself feel better in general. So that when you experience the dysphoria, it's not so crushing because you have some of these other things that, that kind of can tamper it a little bit. Mm. Um, it just you know like when you're when you're taking care of yourself in the other realms too which is hard when you're experiencing these things it it can it can and it might make the dysphoria feel a little bit lighter right like when you're fulfilled in other areas of your life too or like even as basic of like getting enough sleep and like eating properly right like then your brain has enough stuff to to like keep going and to manage this appropriately yeah yeah we are running out of time somehow. Wow, mm. time flies when you're talking about gender dysphoria. <laughs> um, is there anything else you want to add? Anything else? Any other words of wisdom you want to draw? Hmm. Feels like the hardest question of them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that's super open ended. But just, it, are there any bits of wisdom that have really helped you mm. in your journey of? figuring out and accepting yourself. Yeah. Well, I think, right, like, the way 
that you took that piece from my Instagram post, I think that I put that in there because that helped me a lot too, right? Like you are the expert of yourself and you are the only one that knows, you know, what you need and what you want. Yeah. Um, like your gender identity is yours mm-hmm. and you get to decide what you want to be called and your pronouns. And I'm so fucking sorry if society has made you think that you don't get to have those choices because mm-hmm. you do. Um, and there's right there's no way to be queer enough there's no right or wrong way to be uh, a gender or not a gender or non-binary or anything like that you just get to exist as you are and you get to do things that make you happy mm-hmm. and i hope um that maybe maybe anything that i have said has made you feel like you you can do that or given you some permission to do something that gives you some sort of gender euphoria um, or feel like a little bit better or feel a little bit less alone, right? Like I've experienced gender dysphoria. A lot of people have experienced gender dysphoria. Like, even if not, like there are some things that we experience that feel similar to that. And so like, to some extent we can all empathize with how shitty these things feel. Um, right. Like, and as humans, like the world sucks and there's like all of this shitty stuff that's happening, but we can kind of lean back on some of this empathy and just treat each other like humans and just be kind and caring and understanding to other people's perspectives and ideas and how they want to present and how they want to be. Yeah. Sorry, I know that was a lot. No, that was beautiful. I'll get off my, uh, I'll get off my, uh, thank you for coming to my table. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thank you so much for being here. I hope if you're listening out there, you know that Peyton and I love you very much and we validate and to see you and you are welcome to show up however you'd like this is a safe space for you all right thank you all for listening and sharing your time with us today i hope you have a fantastic rest of your day